Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Evolution 101. My name is Zachary Moore. You can email me directly at zach at drzach.net, or you can go to the website for this podcast at www.freethoughtmedia.com slash evolution101.ftm. There's also a weblog that keeps transcripts of all of these episodes at evolution-101.blogspot.com. And you can visit there for all of the episode transcripts up to this present one. Okay, I've been getting a number of questions both through email and also through the website asking me about the concept of Evo Devo. So what is it? Well, it's basically a combination of two disciplines within the field of biology, evolutionary biology and developmental biology. Now, the realm of evolutionary concepts should be fairly familiar to you all by now, but what about developmental biology? Well, developmental biology is the study of how organisms develop from a single cell through all the intermediate embryological stages all the way to birth and beyond to adulthood. Evolutionary developmental biology, then, or EVO-DEVO for short, is a way to look at the way that the mechanisms of development have been influenced by evolutionary forces. And this, of course, is a logical collaboration between two different biological camps. And it's a fairly typical overlap as well. Now, remember that in biology, you almost never find things that are black or white. Instead, you find things that are various shades of gray. Likewise, different biological disciplines find themselves overlapping with others all the time. My field is molecular biology, which is pretty general, really, because it focuses on the molecular pathways, the individual genes and gene products that contribute to physiological function and pathological condition. But our entire bodies are made up of molecules, so depending on the project of interest, any given molecular biologist could be overlapping in cardiology or neurology or gastroenterology or immunology or any other number of ologies. The same could be said about a cell biologist, or a biological chemist, or uh, even an ecologist, I suppose, although uh, my own personal paradigm in biomedical research is preventing me from thinking of a good example for some kind of collaboration between a molecular biologist and an ecologist, although I'm sure there are plenty out there. My point is that a collaboration between evolutionary biology and developmental biology is not odd, or is it unique? And the only reason it's become recently popular is because of some pretty powerful and interesting discoveries, which I'll get to a little bit later. But first, I'd like to diffuse or uh, debunk one of the criticisms of Evo Devo from the creationist camp. Now, it, it seems like there's really no aspect of evolutionary biology that creationism hasn't taken pot shots at over the years, and most of them are more pervasive in the popular consciousness than the actual science. Uh, for a number of reasons. This particular criticism, like most of the others put forth by creationism, has sort of been left behind uh, from by scientific progress, uh, but since so many are unaware of current scientific thought, it's still pretty somewhat successful. You may remember that I mentioned the Jack Chick tract, Big Daddy, when I was talking about what is not evolution several weeks ago. Well, You can find this creationist criticism here also, by the way, not to get off on a tangent, 
but it does seem to me that it's very rare to find an actual argument put forth by creationism. Much more often, it's a criticism of one aspect of evolutionary theory. Anyway, midway through the comic, the evil evolutionary professor tells his class that here is proof of evolution, and he holds up a picture of a human embryo. He says, Human embryos have gill slits, proving man evolved through the fish stage millions of years ago. All this while, of course, he's thinking, I hate him, about the saintly creationist student who is challenging him. And the student replies, Sir, Ernst Haeckel made up those drawings in 1869, and they were proven to be wrong in 1874. Those folds of skin are not gills. They grow into bones of the ear and glands in the throat. And, of course, there's another student in the, in the background commenting, you know, wow, 125 years wrong and still in our book. So, what is the truth behind this criticism? Well, Ernst Haeckel was a German scientist who accepted evolutionary theory fairly strongly, although he was somewhat torn between Darwin's theory of natural selection and Lamarck's theory of evolutionary ontology. He won some popularity with his analysis of the embryological stages of different animals, and in fact, published a theory which is now currently referred to as recapitulation theory. Now, according to Haeckel, if you line up embryos from different vertebrates at similar stages of development, there are obvious anatomical similarities between all organisms. And he published drawings that he had made of these embryos in 1874 to back up his claim. Now, the Big Daddy comic says that Haeckel made up these drawings. This is not true. At worst, Haeckel deliberately overemphasized the similarities between the different organisms in the way he drew them, and at best, he may not have actually realized that he had drawn his conclusions into the figure subconsciously. They're clearly not made out of whole cloth, as the comic implies, though. It would be a little bit more accurate to think of Haeckel treating his drawings as the, the same way that magazines airbrush pictures of models to remove uh, blemishes and to overemphasize certain characteristics. A magazine photographer might airbrush a model to have larger breasts and thinner thighs, and Haeckel airbrushed a drawing of a human embryo to have larger gill slits and a longer tail. That doesn't excuse the inaccuracy, of course. A magazine might only be selling you perfume or lingerie, but a scientific paper is supposed to be a pretty clear representation of the truth. So, the guy fudged his drawings to support his theory. But what is recapitulation theory anyway? Well, Haeckel thought that the evolutionary development of an organism was carried out again, or recapitulated, during its embryological development. A short, kind of catchy way to say this is, ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny. Ontogeny means the development of an organism from embryo to adult, and phylogeny means the evolutionary development of an organism from ancestral to modern species. Essentially, this means that as an organism develops from embryo to adult, it passes through a series of intermediate forms which approximate ancestral species. For example, a human embryo would pass through a fish stage, then an amphibian stage, then a reptile stage, then a bird stage, and then a sort of general mammal stage, and then finally the human stage. It's pretty clear that this theory is bunk, absolute bunk. Evolutionary science has rejected this theory almost completely. Almost. 
While it's, it is pretty clear that human embryos don't actually become fish, they do share a number of characteristics with fish embryos. For example, the notorious gill slits. Now, in the Big Daddy comic, the student criticizes the professor for mentioning gill slits because they're not gills. Well, excuse my glibness, but duh, it's pretty well known in developmental biology that gill slits are not gills. Otherwise, they would just come out and call them gills. I'm not sure why this is supposed to be such a shocking revelation by the student, other, of course, than the fact that the comic was likely written by someone who has no knowledge of developmental biology or willingness to look anything up. Gill slits are not gills. They're also often called pharyngeal pouches because they occur in the throat, which is technically known as the the pharynx. They do look somewhat like gills, hence the name. The student is correct in saying that they develop into ear bones and throat glands, but he leaves out a little bit. Ear bones develop in mammals only. In reptiles, those bones become part of the jaw. And uh, it's, it's, it's interesting, the intermediate stages of this transition from jawbone to ear bone is an excellent example of evolution in the fossil record. <clears throat> Otherwise, uh, the first two slits become the jawbone in you know, most creatures, and the other slits become different anatomical structures in different organisms. But importantly, in fish, surprise, surprise, the gill slits become gills. Okay, and this really gets to the essence of what we can retrieve from Hegel's theory. Clearly, ontogeny does not recapitulate phylogeny. However, ontogeny does organize according to phylogeny, by which I mean we can look at the developmental forms of different organisms and infer evolutionary relationships between them. So, to compare a fish embryo, say, uh, a chimpanzee embryo and a human embryo, is to show pretty clearly that there are more similarities in the way a chimpanzee and a human develop compared to either one of those and a fish. All three start off with the same number of pharyngeal slits, but only chimpanzees and humans form ear bones, and only the fish forms functional gills. And also, I just want to say we don't have to rely on Haeckel's drawings either. Most biology textbooks use photographs of embryos, which may be a little bit harder to interpret, but which are at least more accurate than Haeckel's drawings. Some books still use Haeckel's drawings, and they really shouldn't, and that's sort of a failing on the the side of the textbooks. But most of them don't. But, okay, after all this, uh, you may think that Evo Devo is just examining embryos, and, you know, that's, that's some part of it, but it's not all. Nowadays, the most exciting research in this field is either directly or indirectly related to the domain of molecular biology and genetics. That's right, just like virtually everything else in biology, it just comes down to the genes. Hox genes, specifically. Hox is short for homeobox, and it refers to a region of DNA within a particular gene that allows that gene to turn on or off other genes once it's been translated into a protein. Hox genes function to promote embryonic development and to structure the developing body plan. Different Hox genes are expressed at different locations along the body from head to tail, and these signals allow for the expression of other genes which activate anatomical characteristics that are specific to one region of the body. The early work in understanding Hox genes was done 
as was most genetics research uh, until recently, in fruit flies. Uh, by changing the order in which Hox genes were turned on or off, researchers could cause legs to grow where antennas should be, or to cause the generation of a second pair of wings. Not surprisingly, Hox genes are remarkably highly conserved among vertebrates, and even to a lesser extent among invertebrates. Even more interestingly, the Hox genes are first activated at the stage in embryologic development just prior to observable differences between different organisms. These show that the regulation of gene transcription is a remarkably potent force in evolutionary development and may have a higher impact than direct mutations on specific genes. So let's review. Evolutionary biology and developmental biology join forces to study how evolution affects embryologic development. The creationist criticism of Ernst Haeckel's embryo analysis is over a century too late, since evolutionary theory already rejects Haeckel's theory that ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny. However, work on Evo Devo shows that not only are evolutionary relationships evident when comparing the development of different organisms, but there also exists a genetic mechanism for these relationships that's seen in the modulation of the Hox genes. That's all for now. I'll see you all next week.